Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a series called One, in which we are rediscovering the heart of God and learning that joining Jesus' mission means sharing His heart for the one. Thanks for joining us. I sure appreciate Beth sharing her story. Um, Travis passed away in March, and so at the beginning of COVID, we had his service here in this room with far fewer people than normal, but uh, he really, Travis really did show me how to point people to Jesus, and uh, Beth too, and uh, so want to talk to you today more about that. Uh, we are in this series that Steve introduced last week called One, Rediscovering the Heart of God. And we don't want to talk like one with make it sound like insider's language. What you're going to see is in the parables that Jesus tells in Luke 15, he talks about how even a shepherd would leave the 99 and go after the one that was separated or lost from the rest of the sheep. And what we mean by one is those people that have not yet trusted or come to know the Lord. And we want to make sure that as a church, we never lose our heart for the one. Now, um, when we talk about heart today, I want to talk to you about heart trouble. Last week, Steve talked to us about John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He talked about Jesus' heart, uh, God's heart, God's mission, and also God's promise in that verse. Today, I want to talk to you about heart trouble. Some of you know my father, and about 33 years ago, he began having heart trouble. He could no longer walk even short distances before he would uh, get out of breath. And so what happened is, is that he went to a cardiologist and discovered that he had some heart blockages. And eventually it required surgery, open heart surgery, where he had uh, three or four of his vessels were blocked and had to have bypasses. And what was interesting is when he had that heart trouble, his dad had died from congestive heart failure the year before. And so this was very much on our mind, and we saw that sometimes heart trouble requires heart surgery. I'm bringing that up because today we're going to look at a situation in Luke 15. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Luke 15, where there was heart trouble, and Jesus diagnoses it and uh, points it out. And the way he points it out is very creative. We're going to spend the next probably four weeks in Luke 15. And so as we think about this, if you turn there, I mainly want to talk to you today about the first two verses. I'll read the first seven just to give the context, but I want to talk to you about the heart trouble we discover in the first two verses of Luke 15. So as we're looking at that, Uh, As you're turning there, can I just remind you that this is what this whole series is about. We say that the vision God's given us is to see people of every generation giving themselves fully to Jesus and his mission. So what does it mean to join Jesus and his mission if you're following along? It means sharing God's heart for the one. Sharing God's heart for the one. One of the things that Jesus made crystal clear when he came here is that I, if you see me, you'll see what God's doing, what God's like, you'll see God's heart by the way I live. I, my heart beats in sync with the Father's heart. But sometimes people around him didn't understand that, and so he had to learn how to teach them and show them in ways that would get through. So as you look at this, would you mind reading in that first gray box the first two verses of Luke 15, which I want to look at today as we think about different forms of heart trouble. Would you read it with me? 
Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now I'll go on and read verses three through seven. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go off, go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So I want to talk to you today about how he diagnoses their heart trouble. And then I want to talk about how that applies to our life. Would you pray with me? Lord, many times over the years, I've paused after we've read your word just to give myself to you, and I just would pray that you would be the teacher in this room. I don't know how you do it, but by your spirit, you're able to go to every seat. You're able to speak to every mind, and so I pray by your grace that you would do that now as we look at your word. I'm trusting you, Lord, to teach me as well. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so as we think about this, what I want you to notice right off the bat as we look at those first two verses, if you're following along, the religious leaders protest when Jesus welcomes sinners. The religious leaders of Jesus' day protest when Jesus welcomes sinners. Now, this is interesting because you would think that the religious people would be the most able to know what God was like and what God was going, but instead they protest. Now, let's just be fair to them. Because sometimes we can pick on people in the Bible. Have you ever noticed that? One of the things that they had been told was, is that because I am holy, you shall be holy. Therefore, come out, be ye separate. Don't live like all the other nations. I want you to live distinctly. And so there were times that they realized that God wanted there to be a distinction between them and other people. But what they did is they took that so far that they actually thought God didn't care about those people they forgot that God wanted them to be an example to the other nations so they too could come to know God. And what happened is they began to see that, that they, they couldn't understand, like, why are you spending time with these tax collectors and sinners? Now, I studied this verse in several different translations this week, and if you do that, you'll see the same thing. But notice what it says in the New International Version that we have in that gray box. They muttered. You can almost hear it, can't you? Muttered. It has kind of a sound to it. Another word in some translations was they complained, they grumbled. Uh, I love how the message paraphrases it says is that they growled. Have you ever growled about somebody? I have a few people that I mutter about in my life at times. You ever had that where you're just irritated and you just, oh. And that's how they were feeling about these people. They just said, I do not understand why you would be spending time like this. Now, let me just read again some of the things where this is explained. Tax collectors were Jews who worked for the Roman Empire in collecting Rome's taxes from their own Jewish countrymen, often charging more than was required, keeping the difference, and vastly enriching themselves. Tax collectors were considered traitors, and so were outcasts from Jewish society. The other notorious sinners were probably people whose lifestyles were less than pristine and who thus also had become outcasts. 
Yet these people came to listen to Jesus teach. These were the very people Jesus had come to reach, those who needed help. And then Chuck Smith puts this in perspective. He says that the religious leaders felt that sin or uncleanness could be transferred by touch. As they would walk down the street, they would clutch their robes tight to their bodies to keep them from swishing and accidentally touching a Gentile or a sinner. Should they accidentally touch a sinner, they would go through a ceremonial washing to cleanse themselves from defilement or contamination. Eating with a sinner was even worse. For by their traditions and teaching, eating with a person was tantamount to becoming one with that person. And so we see that, and then Tim Keller adds this idea. He says, in those days, in that ancient time, to invite somebody into your home or to welcome someone and eat with them meant much more than it does now. Today, it's a gesture of friendliness. It still is. It's a friendly thing to do. But in those days, it meant an offer of friendship, and it was a way of saying, I want to be in community with you. The Pharisees and teachers of the law are absolutely dumbfounded. Now, one other thing that I want to just point out is that when Jesus was doing this, uh, as you read these parables and you read the rest of chapter 15, you're going to notice that throughout the chapter, Jesus is not saying that such people were simply to be accepted as they stand. Sinners must repent. He would teach that. But he is welcoming. Here's what they say. He welcomes sinners and eats with them. That's what Jesus got accused of. Interesting. And so if you're following along, here's what I want you to notice. These tax collectors and sinners were showing interest. These tax collectors and sinners were showing interest. How do we know that? They were gathering around Jesus to listen to him teach. Now, if they didn't care a rip about what God had to say, they wouldn't be listening. But they were curious. They were intrigued. And I want to say this carefully is that we have talked about this in the past, that when Jesus sent his disciples into villages to spread the good news, he sent them two by two and he gave this instruction. When you go into a village, look for a person of peace. Look for someone who's receptive. Look for someone who at least is open and interested. And again, it doesn't mean that he doesn't care for the uninterested or they don't, but he just said, start there. And that's what Jesus was doing. He was welcoming them. They weren't, he wasn't going after them and trying to twist their arm. These were people that were drawn to him and Jesus was receiving them. He was welcoming them. He was even eating with them and having conversations with them. And we need to also notice that sometimes we decide that a certain person, I'm going to go after them and they're going to be my one. And we just like keep trying harder and it just seems like there's a blocked door. And we need to understand that sometimes it's a timing thing. Sometimes God is saying, wait for my timing, wait for my work on that person's heart. But these people were showing interest. Third thing I want you to see is that the leaders claim to know God, but they don't share God's heart. If you're following along, these religious leaders, they claim to know God. I mean, they literally walked around and said, I'm all about God, but they don't share God's heart. They don't show God's heart. They don't have God's heart. How does that happen? How does that happen where you can be so around the things of God all day and lose his heart? I've seen it happen. You can be a pastor and lose God's heart. You can be a full-time follower of Jesus and you can lose his heart. In fact, if you're following along, notice this. Is it like them, like these religious leaders, we too can stop sharing God's heart for people. 
Like them, we too can stop sharing or having God's heart for people. Last week, when Steve finished his message, he shared about a life-saving station on the East Coast. Years ago, because of the area, that's where a lot of ships would wreck and people would go down with those ships and sometimes drown. And so some people found it in their hearts to just say, we don't want to see people die near our homes. We want, to, we want to do everything we can to rescue them and help them save their lives. They didn't have to be paid. They did it completely because they wanted to. And they lived by this mantra, you have to go out, but you don't have to come back. And, and they began to do that. And, and, and they, they helped save many lives. But over time, eventually when the Coast Guard was raised up and professionals began to do it, they just stopped caring about people that were drowning. They just said, let the professionals do it. And, and they still kept meeting. They still kept acting like they were a life-saving station, but now they weren't doing life-saving. And that could happen. And I've noticed that in my own heart. And what I want to talk to you with the rest of the time we have today is about what causes heart trouble? What causes us to get away from God's heart? And I want to share with you five that I, that I see in the scriptures and also from my own experience in my own life. And so as I talk with you about these, here's what I want you to know. In my notes, I actually circle some of these numbers because they resonate. I, I feel like God's speaking to me about where I've gotten away from God's heart. And if you're willing to, maybe you're sitting next to someone, you don't want to see which ones they, you circle. But I would just say, if it's in your heart, just follow along that way. So let me just present these, okay? The first one I would call twisted pictures of God. Twisted pictures of God always lead to serious heart trouble. What do I mean by twisted pictures of God? Inaccurate pictures, pictures that we have in our minds. And so the first one that I think was in these religious leaders' heart is they honestly believe that God can't wait to judge sinners if you're following along. God can't wait to judge sinners. He hates sinners. He doesn't want to have anything to do with sinners. He is just so ready to get them out of there because why? They couldn't understand why Jesus wanted to be with these tax collectors and sinners. They were a waste of space. They were lost causes. They were people that God could not stand in his presence. And they had this idea. Years ago, I don't know if this had subtly slipped in my heart, but I remember reading some verses. I try and be in the Bible every day, not just because I have to teach on it, but no matter what, always trying to feed my heart each day. And one day as I was making my way through the Old Testament, I came to Ezekiel 18. And I remember that day in just the most quiet way, it rang my bell. Here's what it says. Therefore, you Israelites... I will judge each of you according to your own ways, declares the sovereign Lord. So notice, I will judge you, but repent, turn away from all your offenses. Then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourselves of all the offenses you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, people of Israel? For I, here's the phrase that got me, for I take no pleasure in the death of anyone declares the sovereign Lord, repent and live. I care, I, I'm, I, yes, I will judge, but I, I am not anxious to do it. And we saw last week from the scripture that Steve showed us is that he loved the world and he did not send his son Jesus into the world to condemn the world, 
but that the world might be saved through him. Yet all who do not believe are condemned already. There is this judgment that will happen, but God's not anxious for it. I love 2 Peter 3, 9. God is not slow to take action like he said, but he is patient. He is waiting so that he is not willing. He is not willing, friends, that any should perish. That's not his heart. But sometimes we walk around and some people talk about people going to hell where they almost smile about it. It can happen, man. Sometimes, especially with people that we get resentful towards. But notice this, that there's an, an error on the other side. And this is the other error is that God can't and won't judge sinners. Another twisted picture of God is that God can't and won't judge sinners. Friends, this has become so popular in the United States. Maybe this is where you're at. That you believe, you know, ultimately, God, if he's a loving God, he can't judge people. That God, he won't either because he's a loving God. Therefore, it's going to all work out. It doesn't matter what you do with his son Jesus. It doesn't matter what, he, what you do with his redemptive plan and purpose for you. It doesn't matter. God won't, right? And this kind of thing is really popular. Why? Because it's hard to stomach a judgment day. It's hard to stomach that some people may be separated from God for a Christless eternity. That's not an easy thing to come to terms with. And therefore, what we do is we pacify ourselves with this twisted picture of God. And so there I've listed Matthew 13. This is a parable that Jesus told his disciples one day because he wanted them to be crystal clear that there was a judgment day coming. And notice what he says in Matthew 13. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood these things, Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He's saying, look, you gotta be crystal. God is a loving God. God does not wanna judge people, but there will come a day. There is a day of accountability that everyone will have. There, every person must stand before the judgment seat of God, the scriptures say. And so again, notice this, that that's some of what's going on. And Revelation 20 talks about the great throne judgment. When, we, when that happens, that's going to be a day when the books are going to be opened. And therefore, it does matter what you and I do with God. It does matter. His spirit is constantly trying to draw people. And what you and I do, he takes our response seriously. So as you think about that, that's one, the twisted pictures of God. What's another one? The second cause of heart trouble that I've noticed is, is this. It's what the Bible calls fear of man, if you're following along. Fear of man, caring more what people think. The fear of man, caring more what people think. This is where I want to be popular or I want to be liked or I want to be thought of in such a way that that becomes my top priority. More than fearing the Lord in a proper and reverent way, I am more interested in pleasing people or making sure that they think well of me. Friends, this could control you and me. It certainly has controlled me at times. And it's something the Bible warns about. In fact, look what Proverbs 29, 25 says. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, a trap, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. How did this play out in the religious leaders? Well, it tells us in John 12 that some of them actually began to believe in Jesus. 
but they didn't want anyone else to know. And it tells us the motive in John 12, 43. Here it is. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. Man, and I think about what stopped me sometimes from moving towards people that may not yet trust in Christ or that may not yet know him. I've been very cautious sometimes to talk about Jesus, not only out of sensitivity, that's appropriate, but sometimes fear of their disapproval or fear of me being less popular in their eyes has sometimes been in the way. Twisted pictures of God, fear of man. What's the third one? Desires for other things choke my heart if you're following along. Desires for other things choke my heart. If you live in this world very long, you'll know there's things that compete for the attention in our minds, things that compete for the priorities of our heart. And therefore, sometimes we can get so caught up with this world. A few weeks ago, I talked about Demas, who for his love of this present world, abandoned Jesus' mission. But notice this. Here's another verse if you're following along, and that is... uh, we see in Mark 4, 19, Jesus uses this exact phrase. He's telling about how the word of God, when it starts to work in our hearts, he says, there's some people whose hearts are like this, still others like seeds sown among thorns. Hear the word, in other words, they, they receive it, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and here's the phrase, the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Sometimes I, I find that the things that are shiny in this world, the things that offer me fun, pleasure, excitement, they may even be good things in themselves. If I'm not careful, I can let the desires for those things carry me away where now I, I don't even have people on my radar. All I care is about material stuff. All I care is about getting, getting, and, and, or being caught up with something other than what God's caught up with. And those things are gonna pass away but I can literally give my heart away to those things if I'm not careful. You relate to that at all? The fourth one is self-protective walls so I don't get hurt or disappointed. Self-protective walls so I don't get hurt or disappointed. I know most of you don't know what we do during the week as a staff, but sometimes when we gather for staff meetings, we really try and focus on this and think about how these things apply to our own life. So this last month, we've been reading a book called This Invitational Life, and we've been actually looking at what what is it that God wants to teach us about having a more inviting life that invites people into this life with Jesus. And so as we've been doing that, we've been in some of these Zoom calls, and so sometimes as a group when we're conversing about this, and one one of the people on our staff just humbly admitted one day, they said, you know, as I read this, I realize how many walls I have erected in my heart that cut me off from people and from interacting the way Jesus wants me to interact with people. And as he said that, I thought to myself, I got some walls. I need to be totally honest with you as we talk about having God's heart. If you decide that you want God's heart, there's a price to pay. It will hurt. Sometimes there will be tears. There will be sadness and disappointment. I know some of you, you have tried to build a bridge of genuine, trust-filled, loving relationship with someone, 
and you've invited them to maybe come to a service with you or a concert or something, and they said, I'll come, I'll come, and you waited out there in the lobby, and they didn't come. And what you thought maybe was something developing didn't develop the way you thought. Paul talks about this a little bit in his endeavors, Philippians 3. Notice how he describes this in Philippians 3.18. It says, for as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even, here's the phrase, with tears. Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. And so Jesus knew what it was like to have his heart broken over investing in people, some responding, some not. And just the honest truth is, is that some of us go, I don't want to get hurt. I'm tired of getting hurt. I don't want to be disappointed. I'm setting myself up for possible failure. I don't, I don't want to do that. And what we do is we wreck walls. And Jesus says, if you're going to join me, it's going to involve that. But God will meet you in that. Stop erecting walls. Number five, forgetting God's great mercy to me. Forgetting God's great mercy to me. I honestly think this is some of what was going on in these religious leaders' hearts, but this one really, really comes home to me. In fact, what I did this week is I studied, if you'll ever study these comments that they made, these protests they made, they protested in Luke 5, they protested in Luke 7, they protested in Luke 19, they protested in some of the other Gospels as well. So I was studying how they protested in Matthew 9. Now notice this, this is another time when they were doing that. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners, there's that phrase again, came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? They're a waste of time. Do you hear that? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And he, he's saying this to Bible scholars now. But go and learn what this Bible verse means. He's quoting Hosea 6.6. 6. I desire, what's the word? Mercy not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners, people that are sinners and know it. And that word mercy, go and learn what this means. A few years ago, the Lord kept bringing me back to the word mercy. And I could just sense him saying, Jeff, you've forgotten mercy. You've forgotten how great the mercy I gave to you. Therefore, you are self-righteous, judgmental, critical. You look at other people with condescension. What's going on, man? Have you forgotten the mercy I showed you? Years ago, I was teaching through the book of Ephesians when I was a pastor in Iowa, and I will never forget coming to these verses, 12 and 13 in chapter two of Ephesians. Remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. Here's the phrase, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Wow. Now here's one more. We studied Titus a year or two ago. And this one just brings us back to what we all forget. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. That's not a lie about me. 
That's a fact. I was. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of what, friends? It's mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. I forget mercy. Now, I just want to stop here, and I don't know which ones you circled. I don't know which ones stand out to you. But here's what I want to do. I want to tell you a story that came to me this week while I was studying this. Because here's what I want to be honest. I could preach this message every week and we would still sometimes get away from the heart of God. One message isn't enough for me. I need these reminders often. And there's just times that God has to keep bringing us back. So years ago, some of you know, I used to spend time with a man named Jack Hayford out in California. And he told a story that I could not forget and it came back to me this week while I was studying this message. Jack Hayford and his wife, Anna, when they were married, they lived in Southern California, but she was from Nebraska. So they would go back and see her family at least once or twice a year. And by getting married to Anna, Jack inherited her family. And one of those family members was a man named Fred, Anna's brother. So Jack's brother-in-law, and uh, Jack would try and spend time with his brother-in-law and try and build a friendship. And uh, he noticed that Uh, Fred never really was too receptive to that. In fact, not only was he not receptive, but he also made it quite clear to Jack that he didn't believe in the God that Jack believed in. So he kept rebuffing Jack, even though Jack kept making efforts, and at times he thought maybe he was making progress, but again and again he got rebuffed. Jack said, I remembered one time leaving Nebraska and going back to California, and just in his heart, he didn't necessarily say it out loud, but in his heart, he remembers thinking, I'm done with Fred. And he said, in the coming months, he said, I I didn't even think about Fred much. He said, one day I walked into our kitchen after I came home from the office, and there on the counter was a card that my daughter was writing to her cousin, Fred's daughter. They were about the same age. He said, it probably wasn't appropriate for me to read it, but it was open there on the counter. And so I picked it up, not knowing at first what it was. And I noticed that it was a note, a card that she was writing to her cousin, my daughter. And in it, she said, I just want you to know that I pray for your dad every night that he will come to know Jesus like you're praying too. I just want you to know I haven't quit doing that. And I just, I can't wait for the day that your dad believes in Jesus. Jack said that when he read that, it was like a knife that went into his heart. He realized that what he had done was allow a hardness of heart out of hurt and disappointment to literally make him give up on Fred. He said right there in the kitchen, no one was around, he fell on his knees and he said, oh God, I don't love Fred like you love Fred. Forgive me will you please help me keep loving Fred and praying for Fred? And so he did. He started praying for Fred and he had a renewed heart because his daughter 
had something to show him about God's heart. And her heart was beating with his. Anyway, he said sometime, I can't remember if it was a year or two later, on a Sunday night, there was a phone call at the house and it was Fred. And Fred called all excited. He said, I know your family's been praying for me for years and I know I haven't been interested, but recently I've been more open. And tonight I went to church and I gave my heart and I knew that you would be excited for me, and I wanted you to be the first to know. As Jack hung up, he remembered thinking, I'm so glad God changed my heart about Fred, because now I could rejoice. And I just want to ask you, do you have a Fred? I have a Fred. Trish and I have lived in the same neighborhood for about 25 years, and so we've had different neighbors move in and out. And there's a neighbor that I have tried to wave at often, and he's never, ever waved back at me. Now, some of you say, well, Jeff, that's because you like overdo it. Like you're a little too friendly sometimes. It could be. But all I remember is that I just remember, hey, you know, and no, like no, like not even a chance that we'll like ever be close as far as I can tell. And so I've just thought, God, what do you want me to know about this person? And I've just found myself at times going, I'm done. But God's not done. That person matters to God. Jesus loves him as much as he loves me. And as far as I can tell, I don't think he knows God yet. And so, makes sense? So here's how I want to close the message here. It's just, if you see those last two lines there in the notes, if you ask me if there was one more thing that's the cause of heart trouble in my heart oftentimes, I'd use the word prayerlessness. Prayerlessness often leads to carelessness in my heart. So I just have two little lines of prayer that if you're willing to use them, they might be helpful to you. They've been helpful to me. And the first is, Father God, I've allowed blank to keep me from sharing your heart. Now, I told you I circled some. Here's the ones I circled. I circled number two, three, and five this week. Those are the ones right now that God just put his finger on. And so he just showed me, Jeff, sometimes a fear of man, the desires for other things, or forgetting your, the great mercy I've shown to you is just is causing heart trouble. Can you name that? And it was just helpful for me to name that. God, I don't want the fear of man. I don't want the desires for other things. I don't want to forget your mercy because I know what that does. It affects people around me and how, how tuned in I am to you about them. And so just naming that. Do you have some that you could name? The second part of the prayer would be this. Would you be willing to pray this prayer every morning for the next seven days? One of our other staff said, I have just noticed a total difference when I'm praying. If I start my day by saying, Lord, just keep my heart tender, keep my heart soft towards the people I may encounter today, that I've just noticed a difference. I have too. So Father God, please fill me with your heart for, and I'm not going to say my neighbor's name, but that would be on my blank. Who would be your friend? Who would be the one that maybe right now God just says, don't give up on them. Don't stop praying for them. Don't stop. Let my heart beat with yours. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, 
please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.